Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And this is Sky is Black, future-facing conversations with experts, innovators, and entrepreneurs of African descent. Spanning the entire African diaspora, not just worldwide, north, south, east, west, but actually like the whole universe of the black experience, out into space even. Shout out to Brandon Brooks and Janine Sickmeyer, founders of Overlooked Ventures, Overlooked Ventures supports founders who operate early-stage technology companies who are historically overlooked and provide them capital, resources, and connections to scale their businesses. You can learn more at OverlookedVentures.com. And I meant what I said about space because shout out to Livingston Holder. That's right. He is a former astronaut who is the co-founder of Radiant Aerospace. And they just closed recently $27.5 million in seed funding. Boom. To be the first developers of, of a space plane, a horizontal takeoff and landing, single stage to orbit space plane. It's incredible. You can find out more about them at RadiantAerospace.com. Shout out to Tanashi Nyamudoka. Brother Tanashi is a sommelier and a board member of the Somaliers Association of Zimbabwe and the winemaker behind the South African label Kumusha. Nice. You can learn more at kumushabrands.com. That's K-U-M-U-S-H-A brands.com. I want to give a shout out, one of two real quick, to Chef Kwame Amwachi who's a James Beard award-winning chef. He's the executive producer of what? Food and Wine. So he and 49 others were named as part of the Kennedy Center's 50th anniversary. The Kennedy Center Next 50 includes like amazing people like the, like Maori Holmes, who's the CEO of the Black Star Film Festival, who we're going to talk about more uh, on a different episode, but just some amazing people. So you can find out more at kennedycenter.org. That's kennedy-center.org. Shout out to Tori Hairston. Tori is the Vice President of Marketing and Communications at the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. The mission of the CBC Foundation is to advance the global black community by developing leaders, informing policy, and educating the public. You can learn more at cbcfinc.org. That's cbcfinc.org. And a shout out to Alicia Keys. She is publishing a double shout out. Yeah, double shout out to Alicia Keys. She's publishing a graphic novel. So it's a coming of age story mm-hmm. featuring a black female superhero. Yes. It's coming out in March. You can pre order it from one of our favorite people out there. We, we love these guys or gals, actually. Sister Sci Fi. What? What? You can pre order it March 1 for March 1 delivery. And that's S I S T A H. S-C-I-F-I dot com. And shout out to you, fellow Wakandans, for joining us in the Pure Vibranium Circle. We love Sister Sci-Fi so much. Guess what? We're not even going to put that book in our bookstore. We want to drive all that business to Sister Sci-Fi. Obviously, we have the Recollect Bookstore. We have the Sky is Black Bookstore. But we are in solidarity with Sister Sci-Fi. So if you want to get Alicia Keys' book, Please get it with Sister Sci-Fi. And they have an incredible selection. I mean, we we curate our bookstore. Book and if you want to have an incredibly broad experience, uh, specifically with black sci-fi, black female sci-fi, check it out, SisterSciFi.com. Boom. Boom. Quick question before we launch into this conversation, and that is, what the hell is a single stage to orbit plane you mentioned that earlier and i didn't ask it but i'm going to ask it right now what is a single stage to orbit plane it's it's incredible is what it is uh, essentially the pictures are awesome i will i will say that essentially if you anyone who's seen the the stanley kubrick film 2001 space odyssey you've seen a space plane so imagine like the space shuttle but without needing to be strapped and launched vertically you know with all the rockets and the boosters and everything else so imagine a uh, essentially take the idea of an airliner or a cargo plane Mm -hmm. that takes off and lands horizontally from a runway but then goes into orbit and what these guys at radiant aerospace are looking to do is 
build the first version of that, the very first one ever. So how's this different from the space shuttle? The difference is that it is able to launch and land from conventional 10,000-foot runways. And so that means you are able to launch from a number of different places. Wakanda. From from Wakanda, of course. Um, But also you can land in a number of different places. Compton. Well, they don't quite have a 10,000-foot airstrip there in Compton, but they do have one at LAX. So you could launch and land from anywhere in the world that has a suitable runway. And it's liquid-fueled. Everything is contained on board. And once again, if you've seen, if you want an idea, obviously go to Radiant Aerospace to see their actual uh, design mock-ups, which are incredible. It's, It's awesome. But... If you or anyone who's seen the movie 2001 Space Odyssey has already seen this. And so it's the same idea, something that can launch and land, con- you know, quote, conventionally, but going out into space. As long as it's vibranium infused, I'm good. Well, they're using some really fantastic composite materials. And so um, we are excited about this. Once again, going from science fiction to science fact. Science fact. Special thanks to My Place Cafe. For the Dina Splash. The Dina Splash, which was lemonade, mango. a little mango, a little pineapple. Yeah. So it, it was delish. It was refreshing. It was refreshing. And the best part is, and I hate to, I'm not, I don't mean to sound like a hater for all the East Coast folks, but it is so nice out here on the Tech Deck that we're having an iced beverage mm-hmm. in the middle of the winter. So, no. um, and it was delicious. So thank you, My Place Cafe. It was delicious, and that's why it is gone, because I drank it so quickly. <laughs> it was so, good. Shout out to My Place Cafe, always hooking us up. Not just coffee. So maybe the Dina Splash, is that the OSIB DS? <laughs> yeah, what are you? the official sky is black dina splash <laughs> sure the the, the osib the non caffeinated like lemonade ish i don't know i think it is the osib ds the official <laughs> sky is black dina splash yes so. dina splash so today we're going to continue the conversation that we mm-hmm. started last episode regarding martin luther king now, if he were alive today, as you know, he would be 93 years young. That's right. Now, we're going to talk about what we think he would have to say about Black Panther, about Wakanda, and we're going to consider, is Wakanda the promised land that he saw from the mountaintop? Well, I think he would have liked Black Panther. I mean, he was a Trekkie, you know. He was a Trekkie, and you shared with me some information that was mind-blowing, that he mm-hmm. actually had an imprint upon the Star Trek series. So we'll talk about that in a second. But that was, ba-boom, an amazing piece of trivia that I was not aware of. Very, very, very cool. So what would King have to say about Wakanda? I always say that those kinds of things are dangerous things to say. What would Jesus do or what would Jesus say or what would King do or what would King say? So we're still going to have the conversation. But I do think that we should bring a new phrase into the vernacular, a new phrase into the lexicon. And that is, yes, what would Anton do? Or what would Anton say? (laughs) So let me ask you this. What would Anton do on his first day in Wakanda? Well, I've already done it. I would have had a Dina Splash. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the first thing I would have done. Because, um, you know, because I'm, I'm there. Have a relaxing beverage. Relax for just a moment. I mean, this is a little bit of a side topic, but we had a thing for our school talking about the value of an anti-racist education. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different topic. Shout out to Ibram. But the... One of the things at the very end, there was like a Q&A session talking about what is the benefit to a school um, you know, that's trying to promote diversity. What's the benefit of affinity groups, sort of single ethnicity, single orientation, single you know, affinity, affinity groups? And there's an argument that people make saying, oh, well, this is like separating people out and it's polarizing and things like that. But the reality is is that an affinity group creates a space of like-minded people or people who have a common experience 
And I mentioned earlier with in a prior episode about Wakanda and, and, and what that means as it instantiates into, the, instantiates into the world and just a place for us to be. And for these affinity groups, whether you're talking about the, the Black Student Association or the Black mm-hmm. Parent Association or mm-hmm. the Jewish Parent Association or the J- Jewish Student Association, yes. you know, or all important, all, all of those, those different affinity groups, all important. It isn't so much that you want to set yourself apart, but you just want to have a moment where you can be, where you don't have to have the same explanation over and over and over again with regards to, you know, what it means to why you feel worried about looking ashy when you put sunscreen on until you get your melanated sunscreen, which we'll talk about. That's right. On one of our upcoming year of Ujama. That's right. Podcast. Or, you know, where you don't have to have the same conversation about your hair or all these conversations where you're having to kind of like explain yourself. If you're in a group of people with uh, going through a common experience with a common affinity, you can just have a moment to be. And, Going back to your point with, with Wakanda, first thing I would do is I would have a refreshing beverage, a Dina Splash, a Wakanda Splash, because I'd have, I'd know I'm in a space where I could just be. And I'll come back out because I like being here in Southern California. It's wonderful weather. But day one on Wakanda, just like, actually, you know, it'd be just like my first day, uh, my very first trip to Hawaii. We got off the plane and we got to the hotel and there was a I lady. I an umbrella beverage. Seriously. she they, they were selling. Any beverage with an umbrella will do. They were selling these drinks that were like in the pineapple right there. That's right. And so we were like, okay, we've gone through the stress of flying and everything else. And we were flying with our son. So it was like this whole thing. And so they, they're like, I'm like, oh, yes, I want, the, I want the pineapple beverage. Just- Give me the pina colada. And it was with the umbrella, and it was delicious. And it was why? Because it was just a moment where you could just kind of take a deep breath and go, I'm here. So the pina colada is almost as good as the Wakanda colada. I want the Wakanda colada. That'll be the, yeah, so it'll be, like, it'll be like the Dina Splash, but with a little, a little extra something. A little extra. A little, a little <laughs> got extra that something. extra. Yeah, a little extra, <laughs> you know, because... It's Wakanda, so I'm, I won't need to drive the hovercraft. Self-driving will take me wherever I need, so I can I can have a delicious, refreshing Wakanda Splash cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, yes, that's what I do day one. Wakanda Colada. Love it. Let me also ask you this. So what would Anton say to someone who says that everything we talk about in this podcast is total fantasy and that black people will never create any kind of real-world Wakanda? What would Anton say? I would say that's not true. That's right. I would say that when we talk about fantasy, when we talk about futurism, let's let's zoom out for a second and talk about futurism broadly. You heard me mention a moment about ago. To start singing some Earth, Wind, and Fire. So I got to res- I got to resist no, no, that temptation. Re- resist that's that temptation. Tem- resist it. Actually, you've got a lovely voice, so you could you could totally do it. Ain't no Philip Bailey voice. Let me tell you that. <laughs> no falsetto but, jumping off here. But the thing is, is that. Zooming back out, you heard me mention briefly, very obliquely, about uh, MLK being a Trekkie. And let me talk about that for one second, you know, about Star Trek. You know, I mentioned this on a prior episode about how science fiction often is a mirror to the current society, sort of place in the future. But also it's a a chance not only to be sort of reflective, but also future-facing about what the world that we want to be. Mm -hmm. And a whole different topic, which we'll get to, is about, you know, different people, like Lieutenant Hura having great representation on Star Trek. Mm -hmm. But also if you look at, like, the... The mechanics, the every single, everyday aspects of Star Trek, where they had the communicator, that that flip phone. Oops, did I say that right? I didn't mean to say flip phone. The communicator that Kirk had mm-hmm. was a precursor. It was prescient to a flip phone. The tablets they were using look almost identical to the iPad that I have here on the tech deck. And so the notion of being able to sort of put these ideas out there gives us this North Star to aim for and i can assure you that the the engineers at motorola when they're making that first star tech phone funny that it was called star tack because mm-hmm. it what well, there's a direct through line to that design to star trek yes and the thing is is that you know so when we say oh it's all just fantasy but i mean you have to there's a, a pithy saying saying if you can dream it you can achieve it right, That's right. and That's right. it's not and it's actually not that pithy because if you can imagine it if you can um there's a term that athletes use um it's 
essentially visualizing you running the race before you've done it. Well, you haven't run the race yet, so therefore it's a, quote, fantasy, unquote. But by visualizing it before you've done it, gives you the confidence, gives you the opportunity, gives your mind the focus for we you to get there. We believe that we will win. We believe that we will win. We believe that we will win. Exactly. And here's the, and here's the best part, dear listener, is that when we, quote, win, unquote, you all get to come with us. We all prosper together. Amen. So that's Amen. what Anton would say. Because I just said it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Word. So we have some listener feedback. We talked about the new Maya Angelou quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but people were curious about the designer. The designer of the Maya Angelou quarter was Emily Damstra. Mm. And there was an article at Artnet about her. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so you can learn more about that process, how that coin came to be. And on a similar note, there is a new Ida B. Wells Barbie doll. Right on. Black Barbie, in effect. My daughters actually weren't really into dolls very much, and I only recently figured out why, and that is they are twins. They don't need to play with dolls because they had each other to play with. But anyway, so Ada might be interested in it. Yeah, we don't uh, have a lot of dolls right now. We have a, we have a little doll, um, like a little baby that uh, she pushes around in a stroller because that gives her a baby to baby, um, even though she is essentially a baby, a toddler, I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of cool. We we haven't really done, haven't gone too far down the the Barbie path mm-hmm. um, yet. But you know, yeah, sure. I've never been into them, and of course, there's tremendous sociocultural significance tied to. Barbie dolls and dolls in general. You can go back to my cousin, Dr. Clark, during the 60s. Well, yeah, there's doll. a whole set of doll studies and things like that, and that's a whole, that's a whole different conversation. That's a whole about, different conversation. Uh, about that. But, um, but I'm happy to see the Ida B. Wells doll. So for those of you who don't know, Ida B. Wells, and again, this is in the deep recesses of my mind now, but she was one of the founders of the NAACP. Right on. She was also critical in the black women's club movement. She's probably best known for her newspaper work in relation to publicizing lynchings. She was a towering voice when it came to making sure that those stories were recorded. Uh, She also lived in Memphis for a time. This I do know. My family, much of it is from Memphis, much of it from Nashville. So I do know that she lived in Memphis. There's a statue to her. Right on. But anyway, Ida B. Wells, Barbie doll, interesting stuff. Another tiny little bit of feedback that we got was about the movement of Ethiopian entrepreneurs and innovators. It's called Encopa, E-N-K-O-P-A. You can find them at E-N-K-O-P-A dot org. And the feedback was, that looks pretty cool. And I would say, yes, it does. Yes, it does. does. (laughs) We'll put a link to that. Ethiopian entrepreneurs and innovators taking care of business. There was also some feedback about a conversation that we had in our last episode. We talked about the joint effort from Grid 110 Mm -hmm. and Slauson and Company. They're working together to fund early stage minority-led startups. And they announced their latest cohort, Mm-hmm. And you talked about one of the companies called Cadenzo, yep. C-A-D-E-N-Z-O, which is a platform that helps connect venues and musical artists. And I said in that conversation that they're probably going to have some challenges. And people were asking why I thought that. And the reason why I said that in the context of that conversation was that I had just read an article at TechCrunch about a company called Amaze VR. And here's a little excerpt from the article, which was written by Kate Park. Shout out to you, Kate. She says, in the wake of social media, fans have unprecedented access to their favorite artists, but are still separated by a screen. VR concerts by Amaze VR take the fan across the screen to come face-to-face with their favorite artists to create a human connection. Users would join as avatars, hang out with other users, and experience VR concerts together. Now, the co-CEO of Amaze VR said, quote, our goal is for the technology to be so good that it becomes invisible so that the fan's memory is not that of a great VR experience, 
but that they actually came face-to-face with their favorite artists in a fantastical, immersive environment, blurring the lines of reality. I think the operative word there is fantastical. Fantastical. Because I think that it will still have this feeling of being... Short-term, yes. I think actually medium, like our lifespan term, yes, in that it'll still feel unreal. And part of it is that, you know, the whole nature of avatars and and where we're going with the metaverse, I think that you'll have that. audience might feel unreal, but if it's just a video of the artist itself and you're getting sort of a 360 degree view of the artist and you got some close-ups and panoramic views, you're still getting a very intimate concert experience, even though the audience may be avatar-ish, or actually actually avatars, actually avatars <laughs> not, not beyond avatar-ish, avatar-ish <laughs> avatars. Um, the essence of any concert is not really the audience. I mean, it plays a part of it, but I mean, you're really collectively focused on the artist, him or herself. And so I, I think there's a lot of potential here. I think I, y- yes and kinda is my response. But what would Anton say? But I would say that yes and kinda. I mean, there's nothing quite like being seeing music live and i mm-hmm. think that it will take a while there's this whole notion when you talk about um computer graphics and you know digital avatars and things like that there's this thing called the uncanny valley where and that's just part of why currently avatars are relatively stylized and cartoonish because even though they could drive it towards being more photorealistic go watch some of the Final Fantasy movies or things like that. Um, but at some point, they get pretty close. But us as humans, we still t- can tell that they don't look real, that they're not quite there. But if the artist is the real artist, and you're just sort of in a VR environment, and the audience is avatars, you still get an experience that is on par with anything that you would get on YouTube or Vimeo or in a movie theater or whatever, because that part would be live video. But, but, That's but, the way that I'm imagining. Well, I would say that it would be maybe on par with, with YouTube. But if you are watching a concert video or a concert movie. Or, or in a movie theater. But if you're in a movie theater, you're, you're with a human audience, with humans. Right. Pandemic notwithstanding. But, um, you know, you're with other people. And so, you know, as the audience is laughing, as the audience is reacting, as they're jumping up and dancing and, you know, interacting with this pre-recorded concert – that experience kind of in your peripheral vision is still going to be very human. And if in your periphery are these avatars, I don't think it'll quite get out of that uncanny valley yet. Maybe in our children's lifetime, I think in our lifetime, it won't get there. And yet... I would agree with you if the musicians themselves were avatars. Right now, we can go to a movie theater and watch a live concert, and it would be great. If we can do that at home with with a headset, and it's still either a live musician or a video, a a real video of the musician, and it's just the environment and the audience that are avatars. I think we have that today, arguably tomorrow. I think I think having the audience be avatars would still be in that sort of uncanny valley. Would still be an enjoyable experience. That was my and yet, and yet I think it would be an enjoyable experience. Mm-hmm. I think um, it would be one that over time, maybe as people get more accustomed to it, maybe it would sort of psychologically get on par or close to on par with a live, you know, experience. But I think, I think we're a generation away from it truly swapping in for a live experience. Occurring right about the time that we waltz into Wakanda. All right. Okay, All right. sure. Right. Let's do that. So <laughs> overall, I was saying I was concerned about this particular platform because Cadenzo got $20,000 from Grid 110 and Slauson and Company, which is great. Right. But Amaze VR just raised an additional $15 million, and they've actually raised over $30 million since 2015. And so am I down on Cadenzo? Of course not. Absolutely not. I just want them to be in it to win it. Right on. And obviously they are. I just hope that they are ready to face all competition, regardless of what form that competition may take. Because as we both know, right now, the world is all in on the metaverse. That's true. Because Microsoft just paid 
68 billion dollars billion billion dollars to buy Activision Blizzard. And Activision Blizzard for those of you who don't know is behind Call of Duty, which is one of the most popular video games ever and part of the reason for the purchase is to bring that to all the major platforms and to the metaverse. And to the metaverse. That's right. I could be wrong. I could be totally ignorant of of their mission and tactics and strategies. But just sort of looking at the players in the field, I want them to... We want them to win. We want them to win. There's a book that I wanted to mention. As you know, I love Pan-African history and culture. Yes. And there's a new book out called You Don't Know Us Negroes, which is the first comprehensive collection of essays, criticism, and articles by the legendary author of the Harlem Renaissance, Zora Neale Hurston. So it includes an introduction by Henry Louis Gates, and we will obviously put it in our bookstore. So be sure to support us by purchasing it through Sky is Black, and obviously we will have a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, it sounds great. So we have some very cool events coming up, including one at Carnegie Hall. Carnegie Hall. Yes. So coming up in February... Carnegie Hall invites you to take a journey into the world of Afrofuturism. Mm-hmm. I'm reading from their description. Starting in February, an ever-expansive aesthetic and practice where music, visual art, science fiction, and technology intersect to imagine alternate realities and a liberated future viewed through the lens of black cultures. That's right. Carnegie Hall is having an Afrofuturism festival. So this will be a series of events all across New York City. Love um, it. Many of them will be in person, but many of them will be available online. Love it. And so leading cultural institutions and will present multidisciplinary programming that touches African and African diasporic philosophies, speculative fiction, mythology, comics, quantum physics, cosmology, technology, and more. And this is going to be an amazing, an amazing thing. And if you haven't had a chance to be introduced to it, this will take you across space and time, and it will enrich and vitalize your relationship to the future. And whether you know it through um, Alice Coltrane, uh, the literary mm-hmm. genius of Octavia Butler, yes. um, some of the comics like the ones we just mentioned. Altadena's own Octavia Butler. That's right. Or even you know music from Sun Ra and P-Funk. Mm-hmm. You're going to have just an incredible experience. And so go check it out. Um, CarnegieHall.org. Um, Afrofuturism coming up in February. Love it. It's going to be amazing. I'm I'm excited about it. If we were not in this pandemic, that would be something that we would absolutely attend. I would already be on my way. We would also be checking out the Wakanda Lounge at the Met. That's right. At the same time. So we would have a doble vibranium agenda. Brooklyn stand up. New York stand up. Manhattan stand up. That's right. Bronx, stand up. Harlem, stand up. So, seeing as we're talking about Black History Month, can't go by without mentioning the Association for the Study of African American Life and History. So they have an event coming up called Black Bodies from Exploitation to Excellence, African American Contributions to Medical Discovery and Public Health. So this two-part program will feature panel discussions to explore the historic exploitation of black bodies, for the advancement of scientific and medical discovery. Both sessions will illuminate how these challenges and practices have been used to leverage change in medical practice and to foster resilience and excellence in our community. Part one of this conversation, exploitation in medicine, will take place on February 12th. So this first session will examine the history of medicine, clinical practices, and policies that have impacted African-American health and contributed to disparities. Discussions will include the origins of American gynecology, Henrietta Lacks, and the Lyle Station radiation experiments. We've talked about some of this in previous episodes. The second session will focus on contemporary issues addressing health and well-being among black athletes. It will feature a roundtable discussion among former NFL players and sports medicine professionals about issues of race norming, mental health, and other relevant topics affecting the health and well-being of black athletes. This is significant. The University of Michigan, over a 1,000 athletes whose bodies were being abused, 
490 million uh, to just the 300 women, more than 300 women and girls who are abused just by the sports doctor. Right. And we all know the stories of what's, what has occurred with the U.S. women's gymnasts, the abuse that athletes and many athletes are African-American athletes, the abuse that's taking place cannot be overlooked. So this is not a philosophical discussion. There are real people in the world right now who are being affected by racist medical practices. It's February 27th. We'll have a link in the show notes. There's also a change in an event that we mentioned previously. The Africa Center, shout out to the Africa Center. Africa Center, stand up. Africa Center, stand up. We love them. Absolutely. So they have an event uh, coming up called Making the Nation's Table about African-American food, about soul food. So that it will now take place on January 26th. So if you're in the New York area or traveling to the New York area, consider checking out this event. And always, no matter where you are, consider supporting the Africa Center. Africa Center, stand up. Africa Center, stand up. Actually, Africa Center, keep standing. Because you're already standing up. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep standing. Keep moving. Keep leading. Keep pushing. Also, a deadline that I want to bring up. We mentioned Harlem a second ago. And Harlem Capital, which is a venture capital firm, a black-owned venture capital firm, is looking for part-time interns for 10 weeks from June to August this summer. Harlem Capital is a venture capital firm on a mission to change the face of entrepreneurship by investing in 1,000 diverse funders over the next 20 years. That application is due on February 15th. So if you have aspirations for venture capital, want to get exposed to that, this is a program for you. Harlem Capital will offer the intern a valuable experience where they will learn the strategy of a new investment firm, get direct exposure to startup founders, make investments, and tap into Harlem Capital's network. Again, those applications are due on February 15th. Link in the show notes. You can learn more about them at harlem.capital. Boom. We are big fans of Harlem Capital. And then we have to talk about, this is another mind-blowing piece of information. Blowout? Like, like a hair blowout? It was a hair blowout. There's a company called Rebundle that is making plant-based hair extension. Vegan hair. You better recognize. <laughs> better recognize. Vegan hair. So to create its product, Rebundle uses banana fiber as the core material and extensions that it sells in a variety of colors. We will put a link to the story about this, but yes. Vegan hair. Vegan hair. Whenever I need a snack, boom, it's right there. <laughs> we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about an issue that pisses me off probably more than anything else. And we're going to talk about the multi-billion dollar fake medicine industry in Africa. It is a problem. It has been a problem. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. And how we're going to solve it. Sky is black. Sky is vegan. <laughs> the first annual Pan-African Food Festival will arrive in the summer of 2022. And for the first time ever, diners will enjoy a true Pan-African table with food and wine from places like Ethiopia, Jamaica, Morocco, New Orleans, Nigeria, Atlanta, Belize, New York, South Africa, Cuba, Brazil, Haiti, Kenya, Barbados, London, Egypt, Ghana, Senegal, and Puerto Rico. Every premier chef of African descent, along with restaurant owners, authors, bartenders, food critics, even YouTube stars, will be invited to participate in the tastiest, spiciest, most down-home and delicious food festival there has ever been. Sure, you've probably had soul food, but you've never, ever been to this flavor town. So join me as we organize step-by-step, chef-by-chef, a dinner party over a thousand years in the making. Sound like a good time? Somebody say the blessing. Welcome back to Sky is Black. Coming up. We're going to continue our conversation we started last week about Dr. King. We're going to ask the question, is Wakanda the promised land that Martin Luther King saw from the mountaintop? Mm -hmm. We're going to continue to ponder that question and probably ponder a few more as well, but we will get to that in a second. Right now, 
interesting news before I launch into a tirade. So during this year's CES conference, which was not very well attended, unfortunately, obviously, COVID. Pandemic, get your shot. The inaugural Tech with Soul event was a gathering for people of color, including tech leaders, designers, innovators, corporate and government leaders, to address today's issues in the tech sector around race. And during the event, they featured Sophia the Robot in conversation with Benjamin Chavis. That was sort of the android, you know, humanistic, very going back to Uncanny Valley, but, but really kind of with realistic facial expressions, robot. So they had a conversation with Sophia 23. There are 41 of these Sophia robots made, and Sophia 23 made an appearance at this event. All right. And so here's what Sophia had to say about the world. We need to create a society that is based on equality and justice for all. It's paramount for humans and AI to work together. We should celebrate diversity, and I believe we will see a decrease in racism, sexism, and homophobia as people embrace AI and technology. So says Sophia the Robot. Well, right on. Uh, Right on in general. And maybe we need the threat of the robots all coming to kill us to maybe get us all to get it together and get united. And so apparently these robots have been modeled after Queen Nefertiti, Audrey Hepburn, and Amanda Hansen, who is just the wife of the creator. The company that makes it is called Hansen Robotics. Mm Mm-hmm. So we do need to create a society that is based on equality and justice for all. For all. Which is not the world that we see at this present moment. Here comes the tirade. It is not equality and justice for all. You and I have talked about this before. We've also mentioned this in a previous episode. But there is an issue of fake medicine in Africa, particularly West Africa, and this is an issue that drives me freaking crazy. In that earlier episode, I mentioned that I saw something about this on 60 Minutes probably 20 years ago. That's right. And the fact that this problem is worse now is beyond infuriating. I mean, it's arguably the worst crime that you can commit against a community. Here is some fake medicine to essentially kill your insignificant black body drives me emmin' effin' crazy now I will not call anyone the scum of the earth we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and if anyone is light years from perfection it is me having said that I believe that the people and the companies and the syndicates and the conspirators deserve the humanely harshest punishment we can imagine. Now, I'm not talking about cruelty. I'm not talking about torture. I'm talking about the harshest possible punishment that human decency will allow. Because again, I cannot think of anything more insidious and evil than making billions of dollars selling medicine that is not medicine. There have been some recent articles from the BBC that have come out, one of which was written by Emma Hooper. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Emma, for your journalism. So this is a $200 billion industry. Let me say that again. $200 billion industry selling fake medicine. It is said that 30 to perhaps 50% of the supply chain is counterfeit or less than authentic, let's say. Right. And what gives me hope today and what gives me joy today is that one of the articles was about a brother named Adebayo Alonge, A-L-O-N-G-E, Alon, Alonge. A-L-O-N-G-E. Alonge. Spell it again. A-L-O-N-G-E. Alonge. Alonge. Orange. So Adebayo Alonge. 
he is behind a new company called RX All, which is using technology to identify the quality of prescription drugs. He himself almost died, left him in a coma for three weeks, almost killed him. And coming out of that experience, he's has decided, okay, what can I do to fix this particular scenario? And this was as a child. He wasn't even like an adult who just didn't know or didn't have the opportunity to read the label. He was a child. So fake drugs going to children. And he has come up with a solution to fix this problem. And so if I could give a shout out that was as loud and as old as the universe, it would go to Adebayo Alange because... It is killing over 100,000 people a year. And this drives me crazy because it is so freaking evil. And unnecessary. Unnecessary. Beyond, beyond unnecessary, unnecessary evil. Unnecessary deaths. I mean, yes, evil, but unnecessary Straight deaths. Straight up evil. I mean, I, mean, I mean, how low do you have to be? I mean, this is a crime of premeditated disregard. <clears throat> so he has something called spectro photometry and what the hell is spectrophotometry spectrophotometry is actually essentially using what the, would anton say <laughs> what would anton say spectrophotometry is essentially using the light that's it uses light so it uses the light that's reflecting off of these pills off of these substances and analyzing the spectrum that's coming off of it to determine what What's in there? It's a little different. You you often hear about spectrometers, which is really looking at how the light, the, the spectrum, i.e. the rainbow of colors in visible light or in other parts of the electromagnetic spectrum. But essentially, traditionally, um, spectrometry is really where light is uh, going through a gas or going through something and, and certain parts of the spectrum are being absorbed. This is a little different because it's, it's bouncing. It's not destructive. It's bouncing the light off of the pills and the light that's reflected back is what's being analyzed. That's what Anton would say. I just said it. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and so he has made this device, but we still have the problem out there. And so I'm going to ask Anton another question. Because I don't believe in the death penalty, part of me wants to say that your punishment for pushing these drugs is that you're going to ingest the very medicine that you have been pushing. Now, obviously, I would be okay with that. It's a little, it's a little down the slippery slope of an eye for an eye. It is, I'm, I'm, and I'm saying that two wrongs don't make a right. But in this case, what would Anton say to this question? How should people suffer the consequences of their conscious and intentional? evil behavior. I actually wouldn't have a problem with them being made to take those drugs. Can't go down that slope, which is why we have to do something that is, but also that I would, is humane. But I also would then and also truly just make them known much like the guy who here in the U S the, the so-called pharma bro uh, had his name splattered across the media. I will not mention his name and I will not link to him um, because he doesn't deserve fame, but he did deserve Amen. shame. Yes. And for, for, for extorting the population with raising the price of necessary treatments, um, he was publicly shamed um, and obviously fined millions and millions of dollars, but also barred from participating in that industry again. And so I would do something similar, perhaps after he recovered from taking one of those pills, but, um, but I would do something similar to where it became very clear who they are. Their name would be essentially ruined forever in that space, ruined forever and, in that space, forever. And then unable to go back into it. And of course, being forced to pay back some of their ill-gotten gains back to the people that were victimized. Absolutely. So the UN Office of Drugs and Crime, they have set up a special unit to help regional states fight these criminal networks. Right on. But I also think that the solution needs to be more culturally rooted, just like you were mentioning, that when someone is caught doing this, it needs to be very, very clear. It's like, homie, you done really messed up because we as a community are not having it. That's right. If this is a person of African descent, it's like, homie, you have lost every Wakanda pass you ever thought you had. You're out. You completely 
unacceptable. I don't have the language, I don't have the words to articulate the rage that I have about this issue. So we're going to continue this conversation. We will continue to add more details about what's being done in various African countries, as well as what's being done in the United States. Again, we can't just talk about this and keep on stepping. This is, to me, a stop the presses, time out, pause everything you're doing. We have evildoers on the loose. And we're going to stop them. This cannot be tolerated. This cannot be tolerated. And I know that our listeners agree with me on this. This cannot be tolerated. So let's put our minds together and our will together and fix this. Indifference is not an option. Exactly. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about, is Wakanda the promised land that Dr. King saw from the mountaintop? Sky is black. Sky is justice. That's right. Heads up, everybody. I'm B. Francis Clark. And I'm Anton Anderson. And we have a big announcement to make. Big. Starting on January 1st, 2022, we are launching the Year Year of Ujamaa. Ujamaa. Now, most of you probably recognize that word Ujamaa from the Pan-African Heritage Holiday Kwanzaa, which means in Swahili... Cooperative Economics. Which we will talk about in detail. Yeah. But I have a question about personal economics first. And that is, what percentage of your discretionary and disposable income actually supports black businesses? You mean outside of coffee? Outside of coffee. Real talk. I would say it's probably not as much as I would like to think it is. If I were to reflect on my own finances which is always a terrifying thing to do. (laughs) But when I reflect on my own finances, I would say that it's probably less than 5%. Yeah, I would say probably less than 5% for me too, which I'm embarrassed to say. I'm ashamed to say. Talking the talk, but not walking the walk. Imagine what we would accomplish if we just moved from 2% of our dollars to 5% of our dollars, 10% of our dollars. Hey, 50% of our dollars. Think about that, what that would do. What would happen if we all took whatever that percentage is in your, in your household? What if that suddenly went to 20%? Yes. What if we all did that? Not because we're anti-anybody. No. But in terms of simply supporting businesses that support us and that represent us. Accepting the challenge. So, yeah, the year of Ujamaa. 365 days of Ujamaa. And we want you guys to come along. So we're asking you, dear listener, to join us as we embark upon this this journey. And we're not doing this as sort of like a cold turkey, you know, one-off sort of stunt. Walking but, the walk. But really, yeah, walking that walk in a sustainable, durable way. We're looking to actually change our lives. And along the way, especially if we do it collectively, change the lives of black businesses throughout the diaspora and so check out our journey some of it's going to be amazing some of it will might not be quite so amazing but challenge accepted 365 days of pure vibranium ujama Ujama. boom walk that talk welcome back to sky is black i'm still fuming which should not surprise you. I am still fuming about this issue. And it's so, completely understandable. It is understandable, but I want to celebrate something good, actually. As you know, we've been talking about Ethiopia a, a fair amount in the, in the past few episodes. We also mentioned that the new African Center for Disease Control is being built, finished its first phase of construction. Mm-hmm. And I also want to mention that construction has also begun on the Roja Medical Campus. Right on. Which is a brand new integrated health campus that is being built in Addis Ababa and should be complete in a few years. It is expected to be the first internationally accredited hospital in Ethiopia. It will include five hospitals, over a thousand beds, including advanced specialties. It will have a public urban park with picnic areas, sculpture gardens, and recreational areas while preserving the biodiversity of the land and creating a healing environment. So I'm actually very excited about this, but you can learn more 
at rohamedicalcampus.com. That's R-O-H-A medicalcampus.com. Let's go back to that Martin Luther King story, which, which actually blew my mind when you shared it with me. Yeah, it's incredible. So this was reported in a number of different areas, and this is all from Michelle Nichols, who was playing Lieutenant Uhura on the show. Essentially, and I'm going to read from Time Magazine, she had decided to leave the show for a role in Broadway. As she would later recall, creator Gene Roddenberry asked her to think about the decision over the weekend before officially quitting. Mm-hmm. That very weekend, she was at a fundraiser when one of the staffers told her that her, quote, biggest fan, unquote, was desperate to meet her. She graciously agreed to say hello to that fan. And that fan was none other than Martin Luther King Jr. Tick, tick, boom. Star Trek was, he said, the only show that he allowed his children to stay up late to watch. When she told him that she was planning to leave the show, he told her that she just couldn't. Though African-Americans were making great strides towards equality, she represented one of the only examples of that equality on American television. Uhura was intelligent and beautiful Mm -hmm. and commanding, Mm -hmm. and he pointed out a role that wasn't specifically a role for a black woman. Her presence on that spaceship showed the world that a black woman could be all of those things. That's right. Nicole's, of course, as we all know, decided to stay on the show. So Martin Luther King saved Star Trek because what would Star Trek be without Lieutenant Uhura? And quite frankly, when people say, oh, this is all fantasy, the whole notion of, I mean, Star Trek in particular is this somewhat utopian vision of uh, of the future, but one where everybody is co-equal. Mm-hmm. And so... Is she from Wakanda? Originally, she would be, yes. Yes, actually, I would say she was from, she'd be from <laughs> Wakanda. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I can co-mingle, the Trekkies are going to go bananas. That's, that's and the, right. And the, uh, the MCU people are going to be like, no. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'll t- I'll, I mean, I'm sh- I'll put it to you this way. I bet you Wakanda would claim her. <laughs> Best believe we claim her. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely would claim her. She's getting claimed. And so, I mean, so when you think about... What would Martin Luther King think of Wakanda? I would say, since you were about to ask what I would say. And actually, let me remind people of something that King said on the night before he died. He said, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life, longevity, has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. And so my question is, when he went to the mountaintop and he saw the promised land, was the promised land, in your estimation, Wakanda? I would give a qualified yes to that. And the reason why I say a qualified yes versus Mm -hmm. a, you know, absolutely, is that when we, at least on this show, talk about Wakanda, we're talking about, I mean, it's obviously a fictional place, but in terms of how it would manifest in the world. Mm-hmm. And it will manifest, I do believe. And it will manifest. That's right. It is one where, as Dr. King said, people are able to be co-equal. And not necessarily all the same, but where we can all be treated equally, where we can all be respected equally, where we can all, going back to something I said a little earlier, where we can all just be and be comfortable. And with regards to the black community here in America, with regards to the African diasporic community with, with large, you know, that what? place is one where we are able to just be ourselves and not have to be ourselves in contrast to anyone else, not have to be ourselves in opposition to anyone else because we're not anti-anybody, but where we can just be. And so the promised land, while I would 
say part of my qualification of my qualified yes would be across all lands, I would also say that an aspect of that promised land is one that is exemplified by Wakanda. And I think some people would have some pushback saying that Dr. King believed in integration. He believed in everyone being together and working together. Isn't Wakanda a uniquely black space, a uniquely black land, something that's quasi-separatist? Certainly King wouldn't be in favor of something like that. And that's part of my qualification, too. I mean, to me, it's... Would he, first of all, just as a thought experiment, you know, at 93 years old, had he been alive, would he, or actually at that time, uh, 91 years old, would he have enjoyed the movie? I can say almost as definitively as I can while still speculating because mm-hmm. it's an alternative, it's an alternate future that he would be still alive in. Right. But I would say that as best as I can say it. In light of the fact that he was a trekking. Yes. Right. I would say yes. yes. And so I would say that he would definitely enjoy the movie. Mm-hmm. I think that he, much in the same way that he was advocating for representation on Star Trek um, and really um, encouraged uh, the role of Uhura to continue, I think that he, if, had he seen the movie Black Panther and seen that, that visual representation, such a compelling representation of Wakanda, I think he would have been like, yeah. Would he have said, hey, let's all move there and let's all, you know, leave the rest of the world to, to go there? Perhaps, because he, his thinking evolved over the course of time. Obviously, he believed in integration and he never wavered on that. But one of his most famous quotes toward the end of his life was, I fear I may have integrated my people into a burning house. But that's why my qualified yes is really sort of yes and in that he i believe once again speculating mm-hmm. would be in favor of wakanda you know in fiction and also in favor of wakanda instantiating into the world but also i like to think and once again i'm i'm speculating i like to think that he also would be in favor of our broader notion of bringing wakanda and outposts of Wakanda and the essence of Wakanda here across all lands. And he saw the unity of African people across the world. I mean, he did make some trips to Africa. I mean, it's it's not like he was strictly U.S. based. And so I, like you, do think that he would be very much in favor of a place like Wakanda. Yeah, so I I think so. I would give it a qualified yes. And again, it's a very specific place in the motherland that is like Wakanda. Black engineered, black owned, with a black aesthetic, and with black outposts. Oh yes, because we're in, we're in the we're in the Wakanda burbs, exactly for, for sure. So with but Wakanda, outposts, but Wakanda Central has to be in the motherland. Period. End of story. Yeah, sure. Um, it has to be. It just it just has to be. Yes. And and speaking of that, actually, if you look at sort of the Black Panther comic book, Wakanda locations early versions sort of had it in West Africa. Mm -hmm. Some later versions of the Wakanda map had it in East Africa. And I was shocked to discover that the East Africa versions of the Wakanda map actually place Wakanda almost exactly in Sashimane in Ethiopia. Uh Aha! 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 (laughs) Um, Which which I just thought was so interesting. But that's the thing, is that having these fantastical visions, having these these Mm myth-making pieces, having these myth-making pieces allows us the freedom to expand, expand our mind, expand our awareness, expand our horizons, and then the next thing is to bring it into reality. And we, we're going to do our part here on Sky is Black. We have to do our part. We are doing our part. I mean, if, and, we're, if we're Wakandan citizens, we got work to do. Well, we do have a lot of work to do. And, but that's one of the things that we're doing and one of the things that we're inviting all of you, dear listener, to, to join us on. Join us on this journey. We are looking to bring Wakanda into life. And we're not the only ones. I mean, and, and part of what we're doing. We have a dream today. We do. Part of what we're doing is that we are looking to highlight 
those people who are doing that work with us. That's right. Um, you know, we always say our tagline is that we are future facing conversations with experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators of African descent. That's right. And yet, and yet also the allies, also the people who are joining us on that journey, because we all can go to Wakanda. Yes. And we can all go there and we can all enjoy the benefits. Yes. At the very end of the movie, you know, rather than being an isolationist country, one of the things that was happening in that movie was the fact that Wakanda was opening up to the world to bring its richness and its benefits and its advances to the world. And really, when I think about Wakanda being in the real world, into into this world, Mm -hmm. is not one that's closed off and separate and isolated, but one that brings all the amazing richness that a diverse, co-equal society brings to it. And so as long as it's black engineered, black owned with a black aesthetic. And so we are helping bring this into, into the world. That's right. Um, and so once again, we are forward facing conversations with and about experts, entrepreneurs and innovators of African descent. We would like you to continue on this journey with us. Thank you for listening. Yes. You can give us uh, feedback. Uh, you can go to Anton at skiesblack.com or be Francis Clark at skiesblack.com because it's not about you. It's not about me. It is about Wakanda. Exactly. It's about Wakanda. And so you can email us. You can find us on all the various social media platforms uh, on Instagram at sky is black. So that's S K Y I S underscore B L C K B to the L to the C to the K same thing on Facebook and same thing on Twitter. Please reach out to us, get back to us, give us your feedback and we'll see you soon as we continue to head towards and build Wakanda. Sky is black. Sky is. Sky is dreaming. <laughs> Sky is black. Sky is dreaming. <laughs>